love that song. It's such a short, simple thing, <clears throat> and someday we can sing through the whole of it. Man, the, the idea of, of the things of this earth growing strangely dim in the light of his glory. Right? The suggestion that we don't have to somehow begrudgingly surrender the things of this world, but as God continues to be at work in the midst of our lives, somehow that, that if his spirit abounds in our life, the things of this world will naturally start to grow strangely dim. We find ourselves oddly at peace about surrendering the things that we couldn't have imagined surrendering years ago because they were everything to us. It's just a beautiful, beautiful little thing to throw in every once in a while. It's such a simple chorus, and it's easy to just sing it without thinking about what it means, but what a beautiful thing, right? Nothing to do with the sermon whatsoever, <laughs> but, but a beautiful thing nonetheless. Um, over the past maybe year or two, I, I have this weird, uh, not an addiction, that's a terrible thing to say. Um, I have this weird thing that I enjoy watching um, on the internet. And um, it's, it's, the, it's this idea of scammer payback. I don't know if anybody else watches those, those things, but there's a couple of you know, YouTube channels or, or guys on the internet that, that make it their, their role and job to deal with the people that scam call your house you know, and to get back at them. Um, there's one really famous uh, guy on, on YouTube by the name of Jim Browning. He's, a, he's some kind of a computer programmer. I don't know what his background is. But he, like, he literally has the ability to hack into the computers of the people in India that call you and try to scam you out of your money. And so he has this channel where he it's a screenshot of his computer, and he's on the phone with these people from various countries. Uh, usually it ends up being India, although not always so. And he's talking to them, and he shows a screenshot of while he's talking, and they're trying to hack him because they think he's like a, you know, an older gentleman who's, who's gullible. He ends up hacking them and like deletes their files, or he hacks into their security feeds. And you, you literally can see the people in, on camera in the warehouse where they are in India, and he gets back at them. And it's this beautiful like revenge thing. You just watch. Number one, it's impressive how he does it. But beyond that, it's just... Something about it, like who in this, who in here has been called by a scam caller trying to swindle you out of money, right? If, you, if you're not raising your hand right now, I hope you didn't pay the caller from two weeks ago because it was a scam and you don't actually need antivirus software on your computer from somebody on the phone that called you. Um, and the Prince of Nigeria doesn't know who you are and doesn't care about transferring money to your Western Union account, right? So that, that, that is a common thing. The amount of times that I get, I get phone calls or emails or Facebook messages from people of, you know, is this a scam? I just want to facepalm and go, yes, please don't ever send anybody money, like ever, 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 unless you know them. And even if you think you know them, right, the latest one that I saw is there was a group in Canada that was calling elderly people in the United States pretending to be their grandchildren, telling them that they got stuck in a pickle while on vacation and they needed the wire of the money so they could get out of or post bail or something, and that they had raked in in the last five years the equivalent of about $2 billion. Wow. And so this guy gets them back, and man, like vengeance is the Lord's, but vengeance is also Jim Browning's, and it's satisfying to watch. These guys just sweat, you know, as their computers just get wiped or their bank accounts get reversed and the people get their money back. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful thing. We love this because we hate liars and cheats, right? There's few things in life worse than finding out you've been cheated out of something or lied to by someone. It just cuts deep. And we loathe those folks. No one likes a liar or a cheat, right? Today, 
Uh, we're looking at this idea of, of flawed and the heroes of faith as we have been for the past few weeks. Right? And the idea of this whole series is that in the failures of these people, we might see the greatness of God. Right? They're, in the, they're in the hall of faith, not because of what they did, but because of what God did. And this morning, we're looking at a liar and a cheat of the Bible named Jacob. Let's look really quickly, and I won't ask you to stand for this scripture because it's so short. Let's look quickly at the accolade that he gets in Hebrews 11 in the hall of faith. If I made you stand for this, it'd just be cruel. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. So he blessed two sons, and he bowed over the staff. And the Lord puts him in the hall of fame for that. Right? We can talk about why and all these good things. There's some reasons why. Jacob is the son of Isaac and thus the grandson of Abraham. We've been dealing, we dealt with Abraham, with Abraham and Sarai, right? So we know who they are. So two generations down, we have Jacob. And Jacob has, in the end, 12 children, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. So as we go through the rest of the Old Testament, you know, he's, he's the, the patriarchal line from Abraham down to Isaac, down to Jacob, and then the, the 12 sons. And then the line goes through one of the sons, Judah, all the way to David, and then all the way to Jesus. Right? That's how we trace the lineage that Abraham's descendants are promised to eventually be as numerous as the stars, and the Savior will come through that line, and all those good things. Um, the, the blessing here that he's commended for is, is interesting. Reuben was the firstborn son of Jacob, but Reuben had some altercations. He sinned with a concubine that's kind of like a half-wife in a way. Uh, and so as a, as a punishment, his inheritance, his blessing, his, his, what he's due as the firstborn son, the double portion, is removed from him, and it's given to the grandchildren of Jacob, to two of the sons of Joseph, who was Jacob's son. We should put a family tree up. I didn't think of that until just now. And I'm like, he is Abraham, and right? So he removes the blessing from Reuben, and instead he's blessing these two children. So a lot of times when you talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, you'll see their names included in a way. It's this, this shift. So through the, through the son Joseph comes the inheritance, and through the son Judah comes the lineage that goes to, to Jesus Christ. They get the double portion. Judah gets the line. Right? And that's what he's, he's commended for the faith of having done that in light of Reuben's failures. So that's kind of a, why is he being commended for something seemingly so random? We have prayed for people before. Imagine if you prayed for your neighbor, and then, you know, all of a sudden God said, you're in the Hall of Fame now. Well, I don't know if I really deserve to be there. But, right? So compared to the accolades that Abraham gets, that David gets, that Moses gets, it seems minute, but it is an act of obedience on Jacob's part later in his life. However... Looking at the life of Jacob, it becomes pretty obvious that he, like all the others, doesn't deserve to be in the hall of faith. Right. This is one of those weeks where we're going to have some up-downs. I assure you we're not becoming Catholic. Okay? But let's stand as we read um, from God's word this morning for the first of three, I believe, different times. Um, and I'll have you, you know, get the legs stretched. Um, this is Genesis 25, 19 through 28. This is the origin of and the birth of Jacob and his brother Esau. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. 
And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger, and the other, the older, shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out, read, all of his body like a hairy cloak, so they called him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Stay standing for this one. Actually, no, sit down for this one. I haven't decided yet. No, sit. No, I'm kidding. The pregnancy was very foretelling of the relationship that these twins, that these kids were going to have together. The Hebrew literally translates verse 22 as the children smashed themselves inside of her. It's the language that the Hebrew language uses. We soften that a little bit when we put it in the ESV, but that's what it is, right? And so the, 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 the God, God prophesies that Jacob would rule over Esau. However, Esau was the gruff one. If you looked at them, Esau was the warrior. He was the natural-looking leader. Jacob was kind of the dainty, delicate flower that liked to stay at home inside with mom. That that's a bad thing, but when you're looking at them to be a leader, you probably are looking at Esau as the guy that you want for the job. However, that's not what God had in mind. And so we see from the outset that there is a feuding between them, and it's exemplified so starkly that we see it happening in the womb before they are born. And as we read the story, it becomes apparent that the parents are taking sides. Rebecca prefers Jacob, but Isaac prefers Esau. It's the number one rule of parenting, right? You might have a favorite kid, but don't ever tell them. And don't ever make it known, right? Really, you shouldn't have a favorite kid. I'm just teasing. Depends on the day, right? Who's your favorite is. Early on, we see Joseph being this very, or Jacob being this very deceitful guy. That's really the, the crux of the problem with Jacob, is he is a, a cunning, deceitful, opportunistic kind of weaselly kid who tries to get his way through cheating. He's the scam caller who wants the shortcut. Why work for a living when you can get it quickly, right? And so there's two major accounts that we see, and the first one is in the next set of verses, and I'll ask us to stand again for this. There's not that many up-downs, I promise. You'll be okay. This is 25, again, but picking up where we left off in 29. Thought. Uh, Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. And therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. Word of the Lord. And you can sit again. One more time. 
I think. I don't make any promises. The language of dying here is very over-dramatized, right? It's not like he's coming in and if he doesn't get a bite in a second, he's about to die. He's coming in from hunting. He is exhausted, right? He is like two-week mission trip. You're coming home. You've got a bunch of kids in the van and they're, they just left and you come home and you just pass out. They are the second week after the birth of your second child exhausted. <laughs> right? Yeah. He's just wiped. And so... Jacob capitalizes on this, and he just throws out, I don't even know if he thought it would be a serious thing, but he throws it out, and he says, sell your birthright to me, and I'll give you some stew. And Esau kind of goes, yeah, I mean, I'm dying. What good is the birthright to me if I'm dead? Sure. And he literally trades his inheritance, his birthright, for a cup of soup. And so we see the sin of Jacob in this, but we also see the sin of Esau. Jacob is a deceiver, an opportunist, a conniving one. But Esau kind of likes to live in the moment. Esau would have coined the phrase YOLO. Right? YOLO live once? Sure, I'll sell my whole inheritance for a thing of soup. Because he couldn't think past tomorrow. He was in the here and the now. He did what he wanted, when he wanted. He got what he needed, when he needed it, at whatever the cost. And whatever happens later, he'll just deal with it later. He'll kick the ball down the road. And so he swears his inheritance, his birthright, to Jacob. And then goes on. And so from that point, he hated that birthright. Because it was just this thing that hung over him. But the real key, the real kicker that we see comes in, in the blessing story that happens shortly after. Right? I'll make you stand up again. <laughs> see how many times I can get away with this before people get mad at me? This is kind of fun now. So the, the blessing is given to the firstborn, and so the blessing was due to Esau. Um, Isaac tells Esau to go and kill him some food and make his favorite meal and come back and he'll bless him. And, and so Esau goes to do that, but Rebecca overhears the conversation and plots. And she says, Jacob, come here. I just heard this conversation. You're going to go out, and you're going to get food, and then you're going to pretend to be your brother. So here's what happens. So he then went and took them, the, the food, and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, and such as his father loved. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And so he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. And then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, come near me and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and then 
He blessed him. The word of the Lord. You're getting good at that. Take a seat again. This is where Jacob really falls down hard. Think of the cultural implications here. The, The idea of the honoring of parents, especially the father who is the patriarch of the family, is nothing then like it was today. It is an insane thing to even talk back to or disrespect your father, let alone to deceive him to this level. And Jacob deceives the brother, and Jacob deceives his father by pretending to be who he isn't. And so not only by this time has he stolen Esau's birthright, but he's stolen the blessing as well. And the blessing is a significant thing to the people at that time. Everything that Esau was due as the firstborn was taken away by Jacob through lying and deceit and conniving and evil wickedness. This is the equivalent of a scam caller, not just scam calling you, but it would be as if a scam caller called their own dad in his 80s and cheated him out of everything he had. I don't think we talk to somebody like that. Right? There's a level of evil and wickedness in the heart of Jacob that leads him there. And Jacob continues down the path of poor behavior. Everything Jacob does is in his own self-interest, in his own conniving way. He does whatever he has to in the moment to benefit himself, to elevate himself, to get what he wants, to get what he thinks is due. He wrestles with this idea of power and having it all of his life. Right? In chapter 29, he ends up being schemed himself He goes to stay with a relative, Laban, who has a beautiful daughter, Rachel, that Jacob covets and wants. And so he says, I want to marry her. And he says, if you stay with me and work for me for seven years, I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And so he says, okay. And after seven years, they come to the altar. And instead of Rachel, the daughter Leah shows up. And he says, it's almost like, well, I didn't tell you which daughter I'd give you. And so he has to marry Leah. And then he says, well, but I wanted Rachel. And he says, well, if you work for me for another seven years, then you can have her too. And he goes, okay. And he does it. And eventually he marries both of them. Here's the reality. The children of Israel, the 12 children that are supposed to represent the 12 tribes of Israel, are fathered by Jacob through four different women. Through Leah, through Rachel, and through either of their servants. Just like it happened with Abraham and Sarah being given Hagar. We have this deep sexual sin happening again. They give their servants over. And so those four kids, those 12 kids are spread across four different women and one man because of the sin of Jacob. Right? What a mess. This guy is just full of deceit. And if you're asking yourself, how does a guy like this deserve to be in the hall of faith, you're not really alone. It's not just that he didn't live up to a hall of, hall of faith level performance. This guy should be stoned, not commended. And if that's how you feel, he's a lying, cheating, faithless wimp who does whatever he needs to get ahead, there's nothing redeeming, then you are in good company because that's what we're supposed to take away. We're not supposed to look at Jacob, this great hall of faith guy, as somebody that we ought to emulate and be like and follow after. Kent Hughes uh, puts this whole little summary of the Jacob Esau narrative really well. This is what he says. This compact preview, this little story in Genesis, teaches us about God and man in a frankly earthly, morally unedifying story. 
The moral lessons that are here do not come from observing the moral virtues of Jacob or Esau, but from their faults. Jacob and Esau together dramatize the human predicament. Both the elect and the non-elect are hopelessly self-centered and incapable by themselves of doing any consistent good. Jacob is a scheming Machiavellian figure, and Esau is a free spirit who lives for his appetites. Neither of these guys is worth emulating. Yet God puts them there. Think about it. The name of our sermon series, Flawed Heroes of the Faith, is an oxymoron. You can't be somebody this deeply flawed and be a hero of the faith. It's a play on words because we as as Christians like to elevate the people in the biblical story to be heroes somehow that we follow, right? What we talk about when we started the series, dare to be a Daniel. But the truth is that these are feeble, frail, and faulty men and women. If you feel like he doesn't belong in the hall and you feel like he should be stoned and you look at the life and the way that he cheated people his whole life and you think, how can God do that? God should punish him. Not only are you alone, but you're also kind of right. Right? Because we equally live in that way. If you feel this way, this is precisely where God wants you to be. Because God wants to say to you, In response, you say, Jacob doesn't deserve the commandment he gets. God wants to say to you, no, he doesn't. And by the way, neither do you. He wants you there so that he can tell you that you don't deserve it either. You are flawed. You are stained. You are sinful. Maybe you didn't cheat your dad. Or maybe you didn't marry multiple women and sleep with their servants. But equally, we are wretched in other ways. It's just a matter of how does the sin manifest itself in our own lives, right? Jacob ends up being faithful in his later years. And we'll get to that in a second. But what gets him there? Well, Jacob doesn't decide to be faithful from one day to the next. Something happens to Jacob that puts him on a trajectory towards faith that eventually lands him in Hebrews 11. And we read about it in Genesis 32. He ends up having to flee his father-in-law, Laban, and he's on the run, and he decides he needs to go back home to where Esau is ruling, which, of course, is terrifying because he has stolen everything that Esau was supposed to have, right, and then ran off. And so now he has to come home. And so he heads back to his homeland where Esau is in charge, and he sends word ahead to kind of gauge how Esau feels maybe. So he sends word ahead of his arrival, and the word comes back and says, Esau heard that you're coming, he's coming towards you to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. I don't know about you, I'd be terrified. I have a brother who I stole everything from, he's probably pretty vengeful, and he's coming my way with 400 men. I doubt it's to give me a hug. Right? Mortified, And so Jacob is terrified. Esau has every reason to kill him. And Jacob is finally at a point of vulnerability the night before he's supposed to get there, before everything is supposed to come home to roost. And what happens here is the final night before he returns home. So one more time, let's stand, and then I'll let you sit for the rest of our time together. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and he crossed the fjord of the Jabbok. I think that's how you pronounce it. He took them and went, sent them across the stream and everything else that they had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not, that he did not prevail against Jacob, 
he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the top of the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, last time. Relax, take a load off, take a breath, stretch your neck a little bit, right? We're all good. Jacob is, a, is attacked in the middle of the night, his last night before he's supposed to encounter Esau. Randomly, imagine you're going to sleep and a person just shows up in the middle of the night and starts wrestling with you. A little bit weird. And he wrestles and he fights him almost all night long and the person is strong but he can't subdue Jacob and so eventually this person just touches Jacob's hip and throws it out of socket supernaturally, Right? And Jacob becomes aware pretty quickly of the fact that he's not just wrestling with a regular guy at that point. It's an angel of the Lord that God has sent to be his presence, to represent the Lord in, in his endeavors. And so he's wrestling this angel. The hip is dislocated. He's obviously now not able to fight. And Jacob is completely humbled and unable to do anything. He can't lie, cheat, or scheme his way out of this one. Right? And so he finally just breaks And the exchange that happens between the two of them, between God's representative angel and Jacob, is one of mercy and of grace and of eventual blessing. The great irony here is that Jacob ends up being blessed by God here for the first time actually blessed by God. Not because he lied or because he cheated, but he's blessed by God because he's vulnerable. He finally admits to failure. He said, let's just bless me. I won't let you go until you do. I don't have anything else. I'm here. I've got a busted hip. I can't fight anymore. The truth is that Jacob's been wrestling with people all his life. He's been wrestling for power and for prominence in every way. He wrestled his brother because everybody thought he was better. He wrestled his dad because he wanted the stuff that Esau was supposed to get. He wrestled his father-in-law because he couldn't get what he wanted from him. And then he's wrestling the Lord. But ultimately, what happens is Jacob is finally smacked down to a point where he's vulnerable. He says, I can't weasel my way out of this. I need your mercy. And the Lord gives it to him. And then the Lord does something that he does so often in Scripture. He renames him. We talked about this with Abraham and Sarah, going from Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah. It's a name change that signifies a new identity. He says, you will no longer be Jacob. Your name from this point on will be Israel. That's why we call them the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why we call the nation the nation of Israel. It's named after Jacob, whose name was transformed by the Lord after he had this encounter where he finally humbled himself down. And the Lord answered. He recognizes he's helpless. And that's what the story is about. 
Jacob's faithfulness that is praised in Hebrews 11 isn't his own. It's God's faithfulness that is manifest in the person of Jacob because God gave it to him. He's not in the Hall of Fame because he got there. He's there because God put him there through his works. Here's the problem. We get mad at God because of a perceived lack of justice in the world. That's until we're the subject of justice. Then we don't want it anymore, right? We want God to give everyone else what's coming to them. We read about a cheat and a liar like Jacob, and we go, well, he should have been punished. And he should have been punished, right? Absolutely. But God showed grace to Jacob, and God shows grace to you and me. Jacob is in the Hall of Fame because of the accomplishments of God. You are here worshiping today because of what God has accomplished in your heart and in your soul and in your mind. He has brought you to a place where you are able to be here to understand what I'm saying to you and what God's word says to you. You're at a point where you can listen and sing a song up on the screen and have it make sense in your heart because God has put you here. He has brought you out of whatever muck you are in, out of whatever sin you are in, out of whatever mess you are in, out of whatever self-centeredness and lies and deception you are in. And he pulled you out. And I don't know about you, but if God can do it in the life of a guy like Jacob, then I like to think that God can do it in me too. If the Lord can heal Jacob, if the Lord can restore Jacob, if the Lord can take the mess that is him and create newness in the midst of it. If that's true, if that's the God we serve, then for us that means that there's hope too. And so this morning I would invite us to submit to the restorative regeneration of Christ. It's time that we look at the people in Scripture the way that we're supposed to, not as heroes, but as fallen people, that God is the hero in the story and that he makes them new and that he does the same with us. And when we do that, it shapes the way that we look at those people who are in our life who are sinners, right? Yes, there is wickedness. Yes, there is wickedness that is done to us. And yes, there is wickedness that is done by us. God is in the business of not just blind vengeance, But God is in the business of true justice. God is looking to forgive Jacob. God is looking to forgive you. And God is looking to forgive the people that you can't seem to bring yourself to forgive. God's goal is not that they just be blindly punished, but that you and I and others and those throughout history are restored into what God has originally made them to be. And because we know our own sin, we can then offer forgiveness to others, even for some of the most heinous things in this world. Hard as that is. My prayer is that through people like Jacob, through people like Abraham, through people like Moses, that we might see the flaws that God was able to work through in them and, and hope and pray and think that he can work those same things out through us and through others around us. Let's pray. God, we... If we're honest with ourselves, we're humbled. Because we, we like to think that we are the perfect and those around us need work. 
We like to think that if only those people that are wronging us around the world would, would get what's coming to them, then the world would be okay. But Lord, that's a deeply flawed sense of justice. Well, the beauty of your grace is that life isn't fair and we wouldn't want it to be. If life was fair, none of us would be here. None of us would have the ability, the, the frame of mind to even enter your presence and experience who you are. But you shape us and you love us and you mold us. In the midst of our failures, you pick us up and you make us new every single day and alive to your kingdom. Lord, thank you that you restored somebody as evil as Jacob. And thank you that you restored someone as evil as you and I. We love you. And we praise you. And all those people said, Amen.